so inshallah ta'ala we're going to start the tafsir of Surah Al-Ma'un and if Allah Azzawajal makes it easy for us bi-idhnillahi al-kareem we're going to also uh, do Surah Quraysh and Surah Al-Feel bi-idhnillahi ta'ala so Surah Al-Ma'un Surah Al-Ma'un it has a number of names and when we talk about the names of the different surahs of the Qur'an, we should be clear that the, the asal, the basic principle is that we take the names from the Prophet However, sometimes we don't have a particular name uh, by which, or there isn't an, a specific name that is found in the hadith. And sometimes people just refer to a surah in a different way, just by the beginning of it or the end of it or a famous word or a famous theme that is in it. So we shouldn't be surprised when we find some different names. The name that it is most commonly known by is Al-Ma'un. Based on the last word in the surah, and this is another way of taking the name of the surah, that sometimes you find it's the first word, and sometimes you find it's the last word, and sometimes you find it's a prominent word, and sometimes you find it's a prominent theme. But here we have the last word, And some of them, they called it Surah Al-Deen. Surah Al-Deen. Because of the beginning, Have you seen the one who denies Al-Deen? And we're going to come to what Ad-Deen means. The resurrection, Al-Jaza, that there will be reward, recompense for your actions. So some of them called it Surah Al-Deen. And some of them called it Surah Al-Yateem, the Surah of the Orphan. And some of them they called it Surah Ara'ayta based on the first word. And some of them called it Surah Al-Takdheeb. Surah Al-Takdheeb. Takdheeb means denial, denying. Because Allah said, Ara'ayta alladhi yukadhibu bid-deen. Yukadhibu bid-deen. Yukadhibu, the word for it is takdhib. So some of them called it Surat al-Takdhib, the Surah of Denial. Because it's all about what happens or what is expected. What are the sifat you expect from the person that denies resurrection? What would you expect from that person? That's the one who doesn't or the one who abandons the orphan, who doesn't take care of the orphan. And doesn't feed the poor. 
That's what you expect from the one who denies the resurrection. So because of the fact that it's all based around what happens or what is the what are the characteristics of the one who denies the resurrection, some of them call it Surah Al-Takdeeb. Is this Surah Makkiya or Madaniya? This is one of those Surahs that the scholars, they differed about whether it was revealed in Makkah or Medina. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to have a think for a moment why that might be. The reason is that this surah, the beginning of it, sounds like it's dealing with the people who were in Makkah. And the end of it sounds like it's dealing with the people in Medina. The beginning of it, Have you seen the one who denies the resurrection? This was the polytheists of Quraysh. This is what they, this is what they used to do. Many of them used to deny the resurrection. And their, you know, their lack of care for the orphan and, the, you know, for the, and so on. This was the characteristics that were found among the polytheists in Mecca. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ This is the characteristic of the munafiqeen who were in Medina. And you know that the salah wasn't revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam except very late in the Meccan period. And as for showing off in the prayer and being lazy in the prayer and so on, this was known from the munafiqeen in Medina. When they stand to pray, they pray lazily. They show off to the people. They don't remember Allah except a little bit. So what we see from this is that this is the, like the description of the munafiqeen. So from this, some of the scholars said, well, if it talks about the munafiqeen, it must be Madaniya, because they only came in Medina. And some of them said, but if it talks about الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ, then it must be Makkiyah. And this is Qawl al-Jumhur, the majority of the Mufassireen, they said it, it was revealed in Makkah. Some of them said half of it was revealed in Makkah and half of it was revealed in in Medina. And that shows you that this issue of the surah being Makkiyah or Madaniyah is not an, it's not so black and white for every surah. There are some surahs that the scholars differed over it like that. But the majority of the ulama said that this surah, all of it was revealed in Makkah. But that doesn't stop there being multiple causes for revelation and it doesn't stop it referring to things that will later on be seen in more detail in Medina. And some of them said that half of it was revealed in Makkah and half of it was revealed in Medina and Allah knows best. This surah in general speaks about the description of the one who denies a deen. And the meaning of ad-deen here is al-jaza'u wal-hisab. The recompense and resurrection. 
And here the word deen, it doesn't just refer to being brought, uh, it doesn't just refer to being coming alive after death. Although we know this already from, from the polytheists of Quraysh, that many of them deny this. Who is going to bring these bones to life after they are dust? But also in a more detailed sense, that will there be an accounting? Will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after he, the person dies, take them to account? Will there be jaza? Will there be rewards and punishments? Will there be hisab where someone is examined? Their record is examined and everything they did. And you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticized the polytheists of Quraysh, saying that many of them, they think that Allah doesn't know much of what they do. And they think, there's not, Allah is not going to take me to account for every, every minor thing. Allah is not going to take me to account for all of these things. So this encompasses all of them. الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ deen. It encompasses the one who said that Allah will not raise the bones after they turn to dust. And it encompasses the one who said, Allah will not take me to account and Allah will not have, there will not be a punishment. All of these are covered by Have you seen the one who denies that there will be a, a recompense? They deny that there will be a jaza, a punishment and a reward. They deny that there will be a hisab, an examination of people's account. They deny that there will be a resurrection. What do you expect from that person? What are their characteristics? What are their characteristics? What do you expect from them? So you, don't, you certainly don't expect from them any positive characteristics. You don't expect from them any good. And this actually, wallah, if you think about it, it really has a very profound meaning in it. That if a person's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like that, they deny Allah azza wa jalla and they deny the resurrection, or they only, you know, believe in Allah in a token, as a token gesture, but they don't really have a belief in, in the things that they have to believe in, what do you expect from that person? You don't expect from that person anything good. You don't expect from that person anything good. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, told us about the characteristics of that person. What do we expect from the person who does this? You expect that this is the one who repulses or the one who drives away the orphan. And taking care of the orphan is something that the Prophet وسلم, he connected to Iman. He connected taking care of the orphan to one of the heart softeners, the things that softens the heart that is hard. And so driving away the orphan and not having a care for the orphan and pushing them away, that is from one of the things that you expect from the one who denies the resurrection. And he doesn't encourage people to feed the poor. Yahuddu here, it means to encourage. Doesn't encourage the people to feed the poor. Fawailun lil musallin. 
للمصلين is attached to the meaning that came before and that means that this is what you expect from the one who has these characteristics you expect that this person is going to be one that doesn't take care of their prayers فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ But here, we need the next ayah to explain to us the meaning of this. Because if we had this ayah on its own, without the context, it wouldn't make any sense to us. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الْوَيْل We sometimes in English, we translate it as woe. And some of the scholars, they said it's a valley in Jahannam. But al-wayl is an expression of, the, of a punishment that is going to come to a people, like a word of, like a curse or a punishment. And some of the scholars, they said it's a valley in Jahannam. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ Wail, woe to the people who pray. This is important because it teaches us the importance of context. And it shows you that if you take any ayah out of context, the meaning can change. And I often give this example of this ayah, to the people who misquote the Qur'an in any context. If you ever have somebody who misquotes the Qur'an, sometimes the non-Muslims, and they, they take an ayah from the Qur'an to make Islam look like it's something violent or something uh, which doesn't bring about good for people and they misquote an ayah, quote back to them and say, فَوَيْلُ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ Woe to the people who pray. If you took this ayah without context, what would you understand? That praying causes you to go to Jahannam. But it's not praying that causes you to go to Jahannam. It's a certain behavior in your prayer which is explained by the following ayah. فَوَيْلُ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ so here, it is very important that we, whenever we take an ayah, we can't just pull an ayah out like that and get rid of all of the information that goes around it. And likewise, the ayat of the Qur'an support each other. وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ If it was from other than Allah, they would have found a lot of differing in it, a lot of contradictions in it. So the Qur'an doesn't contradict itself. All of the ayat, they go together. But you can't take an ayah like that and remove all of the context away and remove all of the other ayat away from it because in that case, you risk falling into the path of the people who have a deviancy in their heart. The people who have a deviancy in their heart, they seek to bring an interpretation that suits them. And they do so because they want to put people into a trial and they want to make an interpretation which suits their belief. And nobody knows the eventual outcome except Allah. So here is very important whenever we come, this is just a very simple example because none of us get confused. When you hear you understand that it's a particular kind of person who is praying that is referred to in the ayah. But there are other ayat 
that if I quote it and maybe you didn't have that understanding, you could take the ayah with a, in, a, in a wrong way. So this is a simple example of why you need to have context and you need to take the ayah in the light of the other ayat of the Qur'an. You can't just take it like that. Because if we just pick this ayah out there and put the ayah like that, musallin, the meaning is that Jahannam will be for the people who pray the salah. So now we have to see what people is it. Those who are about their prayer heedless. Sahun, they are forgetful and heedless. Then Allah said, So they, Allah mentioned two things about them which relate to their prayer, or one of them relates to the prayer and the other one is more general. The one that is clearly relating to the prayer is that as it relates to the prayer, they are sahun, they are heedless. And that could mean that they, as some of the scholars said, they delay their prayer from its proper time. They don't pray on time, they delay their prayers. And subhanAllah, that's a very worrying thing for the people, for the Muslims who have that habit of delaying the prayers and missing the prayers and making up the prayers at the end of the day. Hellfire, a curse from Allah to the people who delay their prayer from its proper time. They're heedless, they don't care about their prayer, their prayer is not important to them. And the ayah is even more general than that because sahun, they don't, they're forgetful about it. They're not careful about it. They're not careful to pray it at its proper time. They're not careful how they pray. Like the munafiqeen, when they stand up for prayer, qamu kusala, they stand up lazily, in a state of laziness. They just want to quickly finish their prayer and go. And sadly, this is, this, this is something that can happen to many Muslims that they can, maybe they're not the intended recipient of the punishment in the beginning because in the beginning this is directed towards the munafiqeen who don't care about their prayers and they show off in their prayers and they're lazy in their prayers but as you know the sifat of the munafiqeen may be taken on board by some muslims like in the hadith إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبْ Even though this is from the Sifat of the Munafiqeen, that it is possible that a Muslim may fall into these things. Except that if he doesn't bring the Nifaq Aqadi, which is the, the belief that he conceals Kufr on the inside and he shows Islam on the outside, then he still remains a Muslim. But he starts to absorb the characteristics of the Munafiqeen. 
He starts to take on board the characteristics of monachism. And one of them is that he doesn't care about his friends. So if you start to see in yourself that you're taking on board some of the characteristics of monachism, like lying, like breaking promises, and if he's given a responsibility, he betrays his responsibility. Or you see that you're getting forgetful about your prayers, you're missing them and not caring about them. Or that when you pray, you feel lazy. Or that you find Fajr and Isha extremely hard. You don't want to pray Fajr and you don't want to pray Isha. These are signs that something is wrong in the heart because that person is absorbing the characteristics of they are those who delay their prayers, or they are not mindful of them, they're forgetful about them, or they're heedless about them. And then many of you are told, we said this can be connected to the prayer, and it can be connected to things outside of the prayer as well. And that is that they have Riyah, that they practice Riyah and they show off. We know that the Prophet he mentioned the thing that I fear from you, for you the most is a shirk al khafi, the hidden shirk, shirk that is subtle, and hidden. And in some of the narrations he mentioned, it is like Kalamnat in Sardaf, Ala Sahrat in Summan, Fidayat in Banna. It's like a black ant on a dark rock on a moonless night. It's very, very hidden. And that is a riyah, the showing off. And it is a kind of shit, except that it doesn't take you outside of the religion of Islam. It doesn't take you outside of Islam. But it is a kind of shit that So from the worst of the major sins. And that is that a person does something in order to be seen by the people. Not for the sake of Allah. His, his heart is not pure for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he does it to be seen by the people. And the best example of this is the Munafiqin. Because all of their actions are real to be seen by people. Because they have no reason to do it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead, they just want every action they do, they want that action to be done purely to be seen by people. And there is one that is also related to this, and this is a sunnah. And the two of them go together, like in the dua for Allah, Allahumma hadihi ma'atu. This is a hajj that has no riyah and no sum'ah. And sum'ah, it comes from the word sum'ah to hear. And you can think of it in different ways, but it could be seen that riyah is to be seen. And sum'ah is for your reputation to be heard of, for people to hear of your reputation. But this person is an Arab, is a worshiper. So your reputation precedes you. So there is Riyah and there is Sum'ah. The one that is mentioned in the ayah is الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُوَرَمُونَ Those who make it show of their deeds. They do their deeds to be seen by other people. But here we have to stop on the topic of Riyah and we have to ask ourselves a few things. First of all, Riyah is something subtle. So it's something that is difficult for you to perceive all the time. The only way that you can be on top of it is to wrestle with your intention. 
like is narrated from Imam Sufyan al Thawri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that he said, Mama, I allege to Shayyan, I shayda alayya muniyati, I never wrestled anything more than my intention because it turns on me. You might start as an act of worship sincerely for Allah, and then you might suddenly find your heart goes away from that sincerity. So it's very, very important that you wrestle with your intention. You always ask yourself, but what do you do if you feel you did something and it wasn't for Allah? Do you stop doing that deed? No. If you stop doing that deed, you guarantee that you help the shaitan, you help the shaitan to, to overcome you. Instead, what you do is you lengthen the deed, but you bring it back for Allah subhanahu And that's why when the early generations, they would find in their prayer that they felt some, some, something from showing off coming to their heart, what they would do is they would not stop praying, but they would lengthen their prayer. And they will wrestle with their intention to make it for Allah subhanahu wa What we see now, which is even more dangerous, is that a person says, I don't come to pray in the masjid because I'm frightened I might show off. But this is even, this is helping the shaitan even more. Because this is leaving off of deeds now because of other than Allah subhanahu wa This is an even worse situation. So a person shouldn't stop doing the deeds but just we should wrestle with their intention to make it sincere for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they refuse al-na'un. Al-na'un are the smooth acts of kindness. Or small act of assistance that you do for somebody. So for example, somebody asks if they can borrow or if they can, if they can take some salt from you, for example, someone who's got they mention this. Or someone asks for a glass of water. Or someone asks for if you can carry a bag for them across the road or something like that. It's a small kindness. Something that doesn't, it doesn't decrease anything. It's not like a one of those southern part that takes away from you when you feel it. You know, subhanAllah, I gave that southern part and you know, I'm a little bit things that are a bit difficult for me. It's something that when you give it, you don't notice it. Like for example, a glass of water. You ever give anyone a glass of water and they go, SubhanAllah, I don't have any water now, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of the day. It could happen, you could be outside somewhere, you just had one bottle that you gave. But, and now, for example, you're in your home and somebody brought something up for you, so there was somebody carrying something for you and said, oh, can I get a glass of water? When you pour that glass of water, you know, it doesn't change, it doesn't affect you in any way, it doesn't make any difficulty for you. If somebody says, oh, could you just put a few teaspoons of sugar for me on a plate because I, my, my sugar finished, it's like a small bowl of sugar. You don't feel like, oh, you know what, my sugar finished now, or like, it's a small thing that doesn't take anything away from you. A small kindness. And if a person prevents a small kindness, what do you think that they will be? Like when it comes to the greater kindnesses, when it comes to sadaqah and zakah, when it comes to the orphan, when it comes to the needy, when it comes to the misdeeds. If they are preventing a person from a glass of water, what do you think that they're going to be like when it comes to the big sadaqah and zakah, somebody giving half of their wealth or a third of their wealth? It's going to be worse. They're going to be even more reluctant to do that. 
And again, this is the peak of an example of, of these people, you know, others like them. That they prevent even a man, even small things they prevent. They're stingy even with the things that don't make any difference. So again, this is a characteristic that if you see in yourself, that you've become stingy when it comes to Allah, a small help that you give to somebody. The thing which doesn't make any difference for you, somebody says, oh, could you just hold the door for me? It doesn't make any, you don't notice it, it's not a big thing. If you find yourself becoming reluctant to do these things, this is again a sign that something is wrong in the salah, in the sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so on. But one thing we can take from the surah, going back to the tafsir of the surah, one of the things that we can take from it is that if a person is neglectful of Allah's rights, then they will neglect the rights of the children of God. Because the surah starts, Have you seen the one that rejects the recompense? And you see that how that person behaves with the hukuk of mankind, the hukuk of the rights of the people. They provide small kindnesses and so on. And that doesn't mean that if someone, that doesn't mean that everyone who denies or everyone who disbelieves is like that. But this is what you expect from the one who can do. You don't expect any good from them. You don't expect anything good from them. that I wanted to mention that you see that I have this at the moment. Only that it's worth mentioning also that this issue of the orphan and the misleading comes many times in the Quran. It's a theme that comes regularly in the Quran. For example, the statement of the Quran's Rather, you do not honor the orphan and you do not encourage one another to feed the poor. So it's mentioned in many places in the Quran that it comes together with. For example, many times in the Quran that it comes, do not repel the orphan and don't refuse the person who asks something from you. So this is a theme which comes regularly in the Quran, the connection between the author and the poor, and taking care of them. Some of it, with regard to Fawaih bin Musaddin, they connected it in a different way. And this is a benefit that you can take. They connected the issue of the Salah not to the next ayah, but to what came before. That if you are a person who rejects the recompense and doesn't take care of the orphan and doesn't take care of the poor, then how can you pray to Allah 
and ask Allah to accept your prayers when you do this to the orphan and the deceived and you deny the recompense. Some of them took it that way. In other words, they connected the ayah to the ayah which came before it. Meaning that woe to the person who prays while driving away the orphan and neglecting the poor and denying uh, the resurrection. We mentioned the issue of Quran The next two surahs, which is Surah Quraysh and Surah Fatih, are connected to one another according to many of the scholars of Tafsir. So we're going to start with Surah Fatih, even though Surah Quraysh, if we go from the back, Surah Quraysh is next. But the reason is because many of the scholars of Tafsir connected the two surahs together. In other words, they considered Surah Quraysh to be an exact follow on from what is mentioned in Surah Quraysh, because of what Allah mentioned about the, about the blessings that He gave to them in Surah Al-Fil, and then Allah mentions the blessing that He gave them in Rehid al their traveling and their safety, and the fact that Allah brought them together and didn't cause them to separate. So, because the scholars bring these two together, or many of the scholars of Tafsir bring these two surahs together, we're going to also bring them together, inshallah. Surah Tafsir and Surah Quraysh. So, let's start with Surah Tafsir. Surah Tafsir, Allah mentions, Do you not see how your Lord dealt with the companions of the elephant? There are two or three things that we want to cover here. First of all, what is the context of the surah? The context of the surah is addressing the polytheists of Quraysh and reminding them of Allah's favor upon Quraysh. And that's why the scholars say this is the link between Surah Al-Fil and Surah Quraysh, that both of them are reminding Quraysh of the favors of Allah. And the story of Ashab al-Fil is one that was known to Quraysh and they used to be proud of it. They used to have Fakhar uh, al-Fil, they used to be proud of it, that they, that they were the people that Allah, that they, regarding the field that Allah protected the Kaaba and Allah protected Quraysh by yeah, sending this punishment upon us, how it be from the people of the elephant. So this is the kind of the context uh, of the surah. As for the story of us, how it be, this is a well-known story and we've heard it many, many times before. Uh, but here, also, it's worth mentioning Two things with regard to uh, the, this event of Ashab al 
First of all, that the Messenger of Allah was born in the year that this event happened. So there is a strong connection between that and between the coming of the Prophet Muhammad. And also the statement of Abdul Muttalib and the story which happened with him. And when you see how confused Quraysh were and how they, they had a basic belief in Allah to a certain extent, but they made partners with Allah in their worship, is that he came to to the army of the field when they came with the army, when they came. And he said to them, or they, they thought that he had come to plead for the Kaaba. They thought that he had come to plead for the safety of the Kaaba, that please don't attack the Kaaba and we will give you what you want and so on. And when they mentioned this, he said something to the effect of, me, I came for my camels that you took. The Kaaba, it has a law that will take care of it. But I'm the one who owns these camels and I came for my camels. You see how they understood that the Kaaba was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they understood the, the sanctity and the sacredness of the Kaaba. And they understood that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would protect it. But at the same time, they worshipped others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that belief didn't benefit them. Most of them don't believe in Allah except that they make partners with Him. So here we can see that they had this. Sometimes they say they, they shock you. And when you look at the polytheists in the time of Jahiliyyah, what they used to say about Allah. One of the poets. I think it was Antar on the port of Jahi, in his poetry, he said, if the, if the Qadr of Allah is something that Allah has decreed, nobody can escape it, nobody can run away from it. They had this understanding about Allah as but it didn't benefit them because they didn't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. They didn't dedicate their religion to him alone. So Allah reminds them of this blessing upon them. And it was, it was seen as a blessing upon Quraysh, upon the, the custodians of the Kaaba. Do not see what your Lord did with the companions of the elephants. Didn't he turn their kinds into Tawleed? He, he misguided them away from the plans that they had. And their plan was to divert people away from the Kaaba and to direct the people to a Kaaba that Abraha had made for himself, a place, a shrine that he had made for himself, that he wanted the people to come and to make tawaf around and to make pilgrimage to instead of the Kaaba. And this is a perfect lesson in how Allah turns the plans of his enemies against him. Against him. Allah, how he said, They seek to deceive Allah, but he deceives them. And they made their plots for Allah. Plots. 
Allah plots in response to the plot of his enemies, so he turns their plots against him completely. So you see here that subhanAllah they have a plan and Allah made their plan misguided. He made their plan, he misguided them away from their plan. And he made it worthless. And he brought destruction upon them and honor upon the Kaaba and upon Quraysh in general. By sending them, as Allah said, Tayyuman Ababi. And he sent down against them Tayyuman Ababi. He sent down against them flocks of birds. He sent down flocks of birds. Throwing against them stones of baked clay. And subhanAllah, this is also something which reminds you of the vastness of the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How this huge army of elephants was destroyed by a flock of birds, throwing small stones made of baked clay. SubhanAllah. And that reminds you also towards the end of time what we're told about the Ajuj and Najuj and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will destroy them and even though they are so vast and so huge and they destroy the earth they make the earth poor, corrupt and poor, filthy and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys them with insects, small things that, that take them, that cause them to die so here, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses his creation however he wants to live. And he made them like eaten straw. Like straw that has been eaten up or an empty field of straw which has been eaten up by cattle. As we said, the story here is well known. The story of Ashab al-Fiyah. But the main thing that I wanted you to take from this is the context of the surah in terms of Allah reminding Quraysh of the blessings and the favors of Allah upon them. And when Allah reminds you of these uh, favors, what is obligatory upon you is to show gratitude. And this is another theme which comes in the Quran. Allah reminds you of his favors so that you may show gratitude to him for the favors that he's given you. And if you show that gratitude, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you more. I will give you more. But if you don't show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gratitude for those favors, then Allah will bring upon that person destruction. And also that you take from the surah, also that you take from the surah how Allah diverts the plans of the enemies of Islam. And this is a sunnah from the sunnah of Allah from the ways that Allah deals with the people. And you should not be surprised that until this day, people plot against Islam and Allah diverts their plans and causes their plans to come back against them.
most of the issues that I wanted to cover and never covered. Generally speaking. So we're now going to go on to the last surah that we're going to do today because it goes with it goes with surah al fi <coughs> even to the point that some of the scholars counted it as one surah. However, it's, it's two surahs. We know that because Bismillah was revealed as a, as a break between. But some of the scholars considered it to be one surah. Uh, it's not one surah, but it's definitely connected to Surah Al Fee. And that's what the Lamb here is the Ilahi Quraj. That Allah did what He did to the Ashab Al Fee, the people of the elephant, to Abraham and his army. He did what He did for a purpose and a wisdom. And that purpose and that wisdom is mentioned in Surah Quraj. The Ilaf Quraysh. In order that Quraysh have Ilaf. And this word Ilaf, the scholars they differ over it with different opinions about what it means. Some of them they said that it means Ilaf, that Quraysh stayed together and they were not split through the lands or broken up through the lands. Could you imagine what would have happened if Abraham had successfully destroyed the Kaaba or part of the Kaaba? What would have happened to Quraysh? There would have been no Hilaf, there would have been no Hilaf, no coming together and staying as a tribe in one place. They would have been scattered through the lands as prisoners. Some of them in Yemen, some of them in the north, some of them in the west, some of them in Makassar. They would have been scattered through the earth. But instead, Allah brought them together and kept them together in one place. So that is one of the meanings of the Ilaf and Quraysh. That Allah kept them together in one place. And the other one is more difficult, more difficult to translate. Some of them said harmony. The fact that Quraysh were together in the sense of they had a degree of harmony among them. And even though Quraysh were, they would fight among one another, but generally speaking, they had that togetherness. This is one of the things that is said. And the, there is another one also. And here I can quote Ibn Kathir, he said, with regard to Ilaf uh, here, one of the things he said is he said, Ijtima'i wa'adami tafarruti, that they were together and they were not split apart. <coughs> and that they were together in a place that was safe. This is another thing that he said. That Allah is reminding them of the safety of life. That Makkah is a place which is and a place which is safe and secure. And that Allah preserved 
the safety of Makkah. And the example, or the greatest example, of Allah preserving the safety of Makkah is that this is the example of how Allah made Quraysh safe and how He made them uh, secure. But here there is another opinion that Ibn Kathir also mentions here, which is that the meaning here is that how they used to travel in safety in the winter and the summer, how Allah used to facilitate their travel in the winter and the summer. And again, this can also be connected to what came before, that after the events of Ashab al-Fil, how Allah saved Makkah and saved the Kaaba and saved Quraysh, and then Quraysh were able to safely travel two journeys, one in the uh, winter and one in the summer. And this is another meaning of Lilila and Quraysh. It's another meaning that he mentions uh, regarding this. He said, "Man kana yaifuna min al-rihati al-shitani ila yaman wa al-sayf al-shan." So they had ilafihim rihati al-shitani wa al-sayf. Ilafihim rihati al-shitani wa al-sayf. So what is rihati al-shitani wa al-sayf? What is the meaning of the traveling in the winter and the summer? It was in the winter to the south that they used to make two journeys a year. One of them to the south to Yemen, Rehat al-Shita, and Rehat al-Sayyid, which was the journey of the summer to, to Shah, to the Lebanon, to Syria, and that sort of area. So here, the ilaf it means the amen, the safety and the security that they had. And if you remember, to put this into context, you have to look at what Ibrahim said. What Allah tells us about Ibrahim, Surah Ibrahim, that he left his family, that he left his family in a valley that had no vegetation. It had nothing. There was nothing in Makkah at all. It was completely barren. Our Lord could perform the prayer. Look how important the prayer is that Ibrahim left his family in a barren desert for the sake of the Son. Rabbana My Lord, so that they can perform the prayer. Then he made a dua. For an Afida, a group of people, Tahmi to come to him and for them to be provided and provide them with all of the different fruits so that they may give thanks. Here now, when you contrast now Quraysh had, that they were able to travel to Syria to get so much of their produce and they were able to sell some of their things and they were able to buy some of the produce. And you know how this how Mahmoud is even today. In terms of the temperature, in terms of the climate, in terms of the desert. And then those of you who are from the Lebanon, you have been to the Lebanon, like Syria, Palestine, and Jordan, those are much more fertile lands where the fruits and crops grow. And so Quraysh were able to bring that into man. And then they were not able to do this once a year, but twice a year. And able to go south into Yemen and to bring from Yemen the product. 
garments and goods and to sell from them. And so Makkah became a place of exchange where they could exchange products from one to the other and they could buy and they could sell. And that's why the people of Makkah became known for trade, tijar. And the people of Medina were known for farming. So generally speaking, the Muhajirun, when they came to Medina, they were tujar, they were businessmen. They were buyers and sellers, market traders. They used to buy from here and sell to here, and buy from him and sell to him. That's how they used to do it. But the people of Medina from that saw they were usually farmers. They farm and so on, and things like that. So here, Allah is reminding them of what they had, a barren desert with no vegetation, no fruits, nothing, no water, and how Allah made it safe and secure, and how Allah brought for them their fruits and their needs and the products that they had in Makkah through this twice or this uh, twice yearly spiral journey once to the Levant and once to Yemen. The Shita, the winter trip to Yemen, was like to Sham. So let them worship the Lord of this house. Now this is very powerful when you think about all of the things that have preceded in Surah Al-Fil and Surah Al-Quraysh. That Allah says, don't you see how Allah protected this town? How Allah destroyed the people who were the enemies of it? Now how after that can you not worship the Lord of the Ka'bah and instead you worship besides him Allah and Al-Uzza and Manat and the different idols and the trees and the stones and the stars and the prophets and the angels and you worship them instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sun and the moon and so on. When Allah is the one that saved the Ka'bah from us feet, and Allah is the one that made Makkah a safe city and Allah is the one who brought Quraysh together and then split them up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that allowed the water and the fruits and the products to come from the well of Zamzam and from the products that came in the winter and the summer. And Allah gave all of this to Quraysh. So after Allah is the one who gave this, and they recognized that Allah gave it to them. They didn't see that the rifla was from Allah and they didn't say that Allah Ta'ala saved the Kafir. They said Allah saved it. So Allah reminds them if you believe that Allah is the one that saved the Kafir, and you believe that Allah is the one that destroyed the Ashab al and that Allah gave Quraysh protection, and Allah gathered Quraysh together, and Allah made it easy for Quraysh to go in the winter and the summer. So Allah and then why do you not worship the Lord of Quraysh, the Lord of the Kafir? The Lord who destroyed the Ashab al-Hayy. And the same word Rabb here, the Lord, is the same word used in the beginning of Surah Al-Fil Al-Jamahim. Do you not see how the Lord dealt with the people of Ashab al-Fil? Let them worship the Lord of this house. The one who gave them food after they were hungry or to prevent them from hunger and made them safe and prevented them from fear. These two things are both mentioned earlier on in this world. The prevention from fear or the safety from fear, the 
So the, the twice yearly prayer they made, the journey they made to Syria and the journey they made to Yemen, it brought them their food and it stopped them from being hungry. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, there are two things that we want to take from this, which are very, very important. Number one, we want to take the connection between Tawheed al-Uluhiyah and Tawheed al-Uluhiyah. That Allah reminds them of His Lordship over them, in order to make them worship him. So he reminds them of his rubbiyah, that he is the Rabb. Alam tawakifa fa'ala rabbuka bin ashabik. Your Lord, you see how your Lord dealt with them, people of the elephant. And Allah reminds them, the ilafi khuraish, ilafi dhim'ikat al-shitani wa-sayf, al-lazi af'alahum min ju'i wa'alahum min khawf. All of it so, then let them worship the Lord of this house. And they did not consider anyone else to be the Lord of the house. They didn't believe that any of their idols were the Lord of the house. They believed that the Lord of the house was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they still worshipped others besides him. And this is the second thing that I want you to take from this, which is very important, which is just believing that Allah is your Lord is not enough. It's not enough because Quraysh believed. They believed in that. They believed in that. And then the Arabs didn't He didn't give us safety. They recognized that. But they didn't dedicate that worship to Allah alone until they accepted Islam and believed it for Allah alone. Those of them that did. So this is, these are two very important lessons in the fundamentals of Islamic belief. Firstly, that whenever Allah mentions His Lordship, He does so to tell you to worship Him. And this comes many times in the Quran. In fact, it's a theme which comes again and again in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who made the earth is a bed against the eyes of the canopy and sent down the rain and brought you the fruits, so don't make a partner with Allah when you know that Allah is the one that does these things and nobody else. When you know that Allah is the one that destroys us out of the Allah is the one that gave you your safety and your unity and your harmony. When you know all of this, and worship the Lord of this house. And also we understood from that just believing that Allah is our Lord and sustainer and creator isn't enough to make us a Muslim. You can't become a Muslim until you implement and worship the Lord of this house, worship Him alone. And then Allah reminds them of His favors and how Allah will give them an increase to these favors. There is one more point that we can also mention here. Which is that Allah also implicitly mentions 
that his health and his victory will be for the Prophet Muhammad. And this is very clear when we look at Surah Al Fil. How Allah did this to the army of elephants that came to destroy the Kaaba, what is Allah going to do to the enemies of the Prophet Muhammad? And they knew this, and that's why the Prophet in one narration he said to them one day, he passed by them, and he said to their nobles and their leaders, Ya Mashallah Quraysh, Ya Hajjitu Kubidlam, O group of Quraysh, I brought you slaughter, I brought you slaughter you. And they were struck with fear because they knew that the same Lord that gave victory to them over the Ashab of fear was going to bring a slaughter at the hands of the Prophet Muhammad. I brought you a slaughter that is going to come to you if you do not turn to Allah. So there's an implicit threat or an implicit promise of victory and an implicit threat to Quraysh that if you don't thank Allah for these blessings and if you don't turn to Allah Islam and worship Him alone, then what is going to come to you is the same as the people who were enemies of Allah before, that you yourselves recognize. And that has a link also because they knew that the Prophet Muhammad that he was born out of fear. So here you have that link to the Prophet Muhammad the other thing, probably the last one I can mention here, there's so many points that I haven't really finished all of the notes of the tafsir here, but we've just tried to bring some points in Shah, is the value of safety and security. And this is one of the greatest of the ni'am of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. And there are many, many ahadith and ayat in this regard. But it is one of the great blessings of Allah living in a place that is safe. And that you are able to come and practice your religion safe, with safety and security. And you have to thank Allah for that. And you thank Him how? I worship Him. Let them worship the Lord of this house. When you see how Allah subhanahu wa made you safe and made it easy for you to come to the masjid and to listen to a class and made it easy for you to worship Allah you have to show thanks to Allah if you don't there is a danger you might lose that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to you and that is the implicit threat to Quraysh there if you don't start to worship Allah you're going to lose that safety and security and protection that Allah gave to you I think inshallah ta'ala that's a good place to stop. I try to make it a mix. I've always tried to make these classes because we recognize that the classes are for are not supposed to be too heavy or too complicated. So we try to make the class a little bit of a mix to be honest. Not too much or too many of the masalis that are confusing about the different meanings and the different opinions, but just we highlight sometimes some of the points here and there just to give people a nice overview inshallah so inshallah concludes what I have to say and Allah Khairan for watching please subscribe share and you can visit muhammadtim.com